Welcome to episode 158 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNUs. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff, including one of the most important, if not the most important, project related to this show, the Linux kernel with release of Linux 5.13. Then we'll check out the latest releases of Pipewire, as well as other applications like Darktable, Ardour, TuxPaint, and NeoVim. Plus, we've got a ton of distro news this week, with Pop OS 2104 being released, as well as some news about CentOS, Deepin Linux, and Chimera OS. All that and so much more are coming up right now on this week's episode of Twill, your weekly source for Linux GNUs. The first topic for this week is about one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for this show to even exist, which is, of course, the Linux kernel. Linux kernel 5.13 has been released. Of course, we won't be able to go through all of it because there's a lot of stuff in this release, but we'll cover some of the highlights for it. And if you want to get more info about that, I'll leave a link in the show notes. You know, you know the drill. So the highlights for this release, uh, first, they have initial support for the Apple M1 SoC, although this support is still early work in progress kind of thing with no mainline support just yet for the Apple M1 GPU. But there's a lot of work going into this, and it is great to see that they are making progress and as quickly as they are, because that is awesome. Now, we've talked about this on, De on Destination Linux as for like why the Apple M1 support is important. If you want to find out more about that, I'll have a link in the show notes. Also in this release, the Landlocks Linux security module has been merged after years of development for allowing unprivileged application sandboxing. So the goal of Landlock is to enable uh, enable to restrict uh, AMP rights for like global file system access and that sort of stuff for a set of processes. So because Landlock is a stackable LSM, it makes it possible to create uh, safe security sandboxes as new security layers in addition to the existing system-wide access controls. This kind of sandbox is expected to help uh, mitigate the security impacts of bugs or unexpected malicious behaviors of user space applications because it allows it to basically make any process, including unprivileged ones, be able to securely restrict themselves with a sort of sandbox, which is really cool. Also in this release is the AMD GPU FreeSync HDMI support is now mainline for allowing FreeSync on HDMI. Previously, you'd have to, you would have to use DisplayPort, but now you can use the HDMI to get FreeSync, which is awesome. A new Intel cooling driver has also been added to allow downclocking to the CPU at a lower temperature threshold than the system default. And we also have some other stuff like this is really interesting because there's a new generic USB display driver that was added for use cases like turning a Raspberry Pi Zero into a USB-based display adapter. And there's also many other things you can do with this new driver. Uh, we also have a now support for Amazon's Luna Game Controller, which is now supported by the XPad driver. And we've got so much more, including the uh, Clang Control Flow Integrity Support, or CFI, for the mainline kernel for enhancing security with only minor runtime overhead. The compiler injects a runtime check before each indirect function call to ensure that the target is a valid function in the correct static type. This restricts possible call targets and makes it more difficult for an attacker to exploit bugs that allow for the modification of like function pointers and that sort of stuff, which is really interesting because that's what the 
uh, control flow integrity part is. We talked about it previously uh, on, on this show as well. I have a link in that in the show notes if you want to learn more about the CFI structure. Uh, and there's also so much more on this. You know, this is just the highlights, but there's a ton of great information. And we'll have a link to the Colonel Newbies page because it's a very in-depth uh, breakdown of what's all in the latest release of 5.13. So if you'd like to learn more and check out the, the change log for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. We've talked about Pipewire on previous episodes of Twill on multiple occasions, such as when Fedora announced they were shipping Pipewire by default in Fedora Linux 34. And also we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, with this latest release of Pipewire 0.3.31. It adds a lot of new improvements and features. For example, in this release, there are new Pulse audio modules ported over. The Jack support has seen massive stability improvements. A Bluetooth hardware database has been added, which is very cool because it makes it possible to now disable non-working features on specific devices based on checking that database. And there's, of course, many other changes throughout the code base, like bug fixes and that sort of thing. But Pipewire is something that is very exciting to me because it's one of those low-level things that most people uh, don't, you know, don't know about, or some people might not even want to know about, but I am very interested in Pipewire because it is such a powerful thing. To, it's going to be not necessarily replacing other uh, audio server stuff, but in the future it probably will at some point. But it is a very cool thing because it allows you to have uh, the simplistic aspect of audio servers where you just you just start the you know computer and it gets all the audio working and that sort of stuff. But it also has the pro level stuff which is very interesting, but, you know, there's a lot to talk about, and it requires a lot more uh, time to be devoted to it in order to break it down. So with that said, if you'd like to learn more about Pipewire, then be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux Podcast, where we talk about Pipewire in much more depth. We're going to break down all the, sort, like, all the pieces that are, that are interesting to me, at least, and a lot more. So you'll find links to the latest release in the show notes for uh, Pipewire, uh, you know, Pipewire 0.3.31. And also be sure to join us live on Sunday, July 4th to see the Pipewire fireworks on Destination Linux. And if you can't join us live, that's fine too. So the show will be uh, published shortly thereafter. So you'll find links on this show to the episode published for DL as well if you want to check it out. And also on the Destination Linux Network YouTube slash Odyssey channels. Pop! OS 21.04 has been released and is based on the Ubuntu 21.04 release. Pop! OS 21.04 comes two months after the release of Ubuntu 21.04, and if you aren't aware, the reason for this additional time is because of the Cosmic Desktop. Back in episode 147 of Twill, I introduced you to the new Cosmic Desktop from System76. At the time, it wasn't ready for use, but if you are one of those people who want a desktop environment that has a tiling focus, by default, then check out Pop! OS 2104 because Cosmic is ready to blast off. Get it? Blast off? Okay, fine. Anyway, Cosmic, which stands for Computer Operating System Main Interface Components, which is very likely that they chose those, those words to really spell out Cosmic, but fair enough, it's a nice acronym, or backronym in this case. Uh, Cosmic is built around GNOME Shell 3.38, but it isn't necessarily a full-blown fork of GNOME. It's more like an enhancement layer sitting on top of GNOME, which is very cool. The highlights of the Cosmic Desktop include a fully customizable dock, split activities overview into workspaces and application views, so you can quickly launch into either one of those with a shortcut, 
the ability to open the launcher with a super key as well as the various uh, trackpad gestures and even there's track, uh, trackpad gestures to be able to uh, go go from not only just workspaces but also which application is active in the tiling functionality which is very very cool and another big difference between uh, cosmic and gnome is the pop shell tiling windows functionality so tiling windows managers are quite popular with a lot of people and uh, cosmic is a pretty good way to try it out for someone who's never you know tried the tiling concept because it allows you to you know try it out without having to jumping right into the deep end with all the other options because it kind of gives you like a gradual you still have a de but you also have tiling functions now there are other uh, desktop environments that have tiling but they're not as in depth in terms of focusing on the tiling parts so there you go and to quote system 76 with this announcement of the latest release the new cosmic workflow introduced in pop os 2104 is the culmination of years of user research and feedback We've streamlined launching and switching between applications and made the interface simpler and more straightforward while introducing numerous options to adjust the desktop to personal taste. Now, this is really interesting because the way that they have structured the layout of it is similar to GNOME 40, but it's not based on GNOME 40. So uh, it, it'll be, they did say that they're going to be you know, supporting GNOME 40 going forward, so like the 2110 release will is, is is planned to have a gnome 40 support so it's interesting that they've already like kind of adopted the gnome 40 uh layout sort of in this context now it's not completely adopted it but it's just like the structure of like how the dock is built and you know the, the bottom center layout and that sort of thing but anyway pop os 2104 also comes with the ability to upgrade the recovery partition and improve search feature and something that the that some gnome enthusiasts may consider blasphemous but the option to have minimize and maximize buttons on application windows. I know, right? How could they? So Pop OS is very compelling Linux distribution that a lot that has a lot of cool ideas. Uh, I especially like the idea of the DE with a full-blown tiling windows function. Uh, a lot of DEs have it, like I said, but in a more limited capacity. So it's cool to see System76 working on that. And I will say, I do think it's slightly unfortunate that they don't have a KDE Plasma Edition called K-Pop, but maybe someday. If you'd like to learn more about the Cosmic Desktop or try out Pop OS 2104 for yourself, then you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new Managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBAS, or AAS. I like to say it as DBAS, but, you know. With Managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and, and on less on maintaining those databases. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest, latest releases of the MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free. Because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash dln mongo. For those who have listened to the show for, a, for any length of time, you'll notice that the URL is slightly different. And that is make sure that you are you know, using that link for going forward for those who are interested in the Mongo uh, services. So go to do.co slash dln 
dash Mongo to get that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Managed MongoDB service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is Deep in Linux. Deep in Linux is a distro that has a lot of people talking about it, whether that's on the positive side for the attention to detail on their design or on the negative side due to its origin. It's certainly a distro that has caught the eye of many people. And this latest release of Deep in Linux is 20.2.2. And this version number, you know, implies a small maintenance release, but there's quite a bit to this release. Deep in Linux has introduced many new features in this release, including a new app store. This new app store offers uh, better app management with support for batch installation of applications. I don't know if uh, most package managers are able to do that, but I don't know of any of, of any stores that can do batch up, batch installs. Batch updates, yes, but batch installs, I don't know of any. But as a as a fresh new design also included in this new app store, and Deepin also made it easier to discover different types of applications by improving the layout of content such as optimizing categories and updating the sorting by making it possible to sort uh, ranked listings by ratings, most downloads, and most recently updated. Also, with this new app store, they have added the ability to install Android apps. They say that it's you know basically using a container, and they say that also the Android apps containers only work right now for the a 5.10 kernel edition. There's also another option for people who want to use the 5.12 version, but that does not have support for the, the Android. They're still working on that, but that's, you know, there you go. But unfortunately, information about how they did this Android app support is not readily, readily available, at least not that I could find. But based on the note about Android containers, I assume it's using Anbox to facilitate that. And if you learn more about Anbox, I'll have a link in the show notes for that. Deepin Linux is now more secure thanks to the secure boot support, which makes the system only boot on a signed kernel. According to the developers, Deepin Linux is the first Chinese distribution to have obtained a secure boot certificate. Uh, so Deepin Linux 20 series introduced a new dual kernel feature to let you choose the Linux kernel for your needs right from the bootloader. So this means that you'll be able to uh, choose between the LTS version of the kernel and also the one of the latest versions, which is in this case the 5.10 LTS and the 5.12 series for better hardware support. And I think Deepin Linux is a very interesting distribution uh, because they have so much attention to detail when it comes to the design of their apps, especially the App Store. It's one of the best looking app stores in the Linux ecosystem. Uh, however, they seem to have heavily been inspired by macOS of late, uh, which for me is a kind of a miss because Big Sur is is probably one of the worst looking versions of macOS in a while, in my opinion. But, you know, there you go. The version of Deepin before the Big Sur sort of looking thing uh, was much better, in my opinion. So maybe food for thought for the Deepin developers. If you'd like to learn more about Deepin Linux or check it out for yourself, the links will be in the show notes. Enterprise Linux has historically not been a subject that has garnered a ton of attention outside of the enterprise world. It's a very important subject, but it's not, you know, something that is often talked about, you know, when it comes to people talking about things that are happening in that enterprise space. But with CentOS, that has completely changed. It seems like every week there's something new and exciting happening with the enterprise Linux space because of the changes that happened in late 2020. Whether, I mean, for this you know, recent example, like whether Alma Linux you know, 8.4 being ready for ARM 
or Red Hat's announcing of Rail for free for individuals. It just keeps getting more and more interesting as it goes. And this week is no exception to that because there is an exciting initiative that has been underway within the CentOS camp and has been it's basically a special interest group for CentOS Hyperscale. So CentOS Hyperscale is very interesting because it has developers from many organizations, including engineers from Twitter and Facebook, along with many others. They're, they've been working on progress of you know, offering their hyperscaler-focused packages and updates, and even on to publishing a CentOS hyperscale workstation OS image for testing. So the, the CentOS hyperscaler effort has been working on better fitting CentOS stream to modern enterprise needs. And via their... Um, repository working on things like backporting systemd versions and other you know key packages in, into CentOS Stream. So this week they the the SIG or the CentOS Hyperscale uh, Special Interest Group published their quarter two 2021 progress report. In this progress report, they noted that the most recent backport of systemd for 20, uh, 248 and also. They have uh, updates for the non-modular build of LLVM12 is available until a modular version is offered in CentOS Stream, which is being worked on. And there's also updates for a DNF and RPM setup which with having ButterFS copy on write support, which is awesome because we've talked about ButterFS. I'm actually working on a video about ButterFS on this channel coming soon, but ButterFS is a really, really interesting file system. But also moving on to the kernel side of the of the things. So the hyperscale SIG is currently tracking the Linux 5.12 kernel for use on CentOS. But what's really interesting about this is that they have now added a modded ver a modified version of Kpatch for live kernel patching of the CentOS streams, which is really, really interesting. And that's not all because CentOS hyperscale group has also published an experimental OS image. It is you know, in the very early stages of it, as indicated by the experimental aspect. But it is very interesting because they're making a lot of progress very quickly on this hyperscale approach. So the uh, looking ahead, the developers and engineers are looking at making like uh, a live media image re more ready for broader consumption, as well as integrating ButterFS transactional updates as an optional feature, which I'm very interested in because like having an enterprise distribution have with also having ButterFS built in for the transactional updates and basically snapshots as well would be theoretically possible, would be very, very interesting. And uh, basically, I think that, you know, it'd be a kind of like a game changer for the enterprise world with that sort of stuff being implemented. So I think it's very interesting, as well as they also are doing hyperscaled enabled cloud images and so much more. Uh, I've been working on a video related to this sort of topic, the CentOS drama or whatever you want to call it. And it seems like I'll need to go back and make some changes to that video because of this new news. Basically every few weeks, there's a new change to make it. So that's why the video hasn't come out yet because there's new changes with like Alma Linux and CentOS Linux and rail making new announcements and all sorts of stuff. And I'm trying to keep it all together, but it just keeps, it just keeps rolling on. So I might have to just say like, okay, here's, here's a cutoff point and let's just go with it. But anyway, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, be sure to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss the release of the CentOS saga, keeping it rail. Or whatever I actually call it. I might even call it that. I don't know. But anyway, you'll also find links for this uh, CentOS hyperscale effort in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we got some more distro news. And in this case, it's Chimera OS 25 has been released. 
Now, Chimera OS is a gaming-related distro, and gaming is a very important piece to the Linux ecosystem, whether you're a gamer or not. It's very important because keeping up with gaming means better performance, better hardware support, and so much more. This is why Chimera OS caught my attention. Uh, so Chimera OS 25 has been released, and while it's the 25th release of the project, it's the first known as Chimera OS. Previously, it was known as Gamer OS. So Chimera OS is an operating system that provides an out-of-the-box couch gaming experience. After installation, you boot directly into Steam's big picture mode, and you can start playing whatever, your game, whatever game you want to. It's kind of like the spiritual successor to Valve's SteamOS. However, it's a lot more than just a SteamOS rebuild. For example, it has a built-in web app to manage installing non-Steam games known as SteamBuddy. This makes it possible to run games from GOG or GOG, uh, emulators, and many other places. So this is a really interesting distribution because it's focused on not necessarily being a gaming uh, distro, but more of a, a distro that is built for having like creating your own console type of experience and like your, you know, basically they call it a couch gaming experience. So uh, the latest release of Chimera OS 25 has kernel 5.12.12, Mesa 21.1.3. Uh, they have NVIDIA drivers for 465.31, uh, Steam Buddy 0.11.2, which is their uh, tool, uh, SteamOS Compositor Plus with 1.8.3, and also there's a lot of other stuff that they've done in, the, in this, this change from GamerOS to Chimera OS. For example, they added basic Mango HUD configuration support via Steam Buddy. So for those who are not familiar, Mango HUD is basically a heads-up display. They give you details about uh, your frames and that sort of stuff. Uh, also, they've added racing wheel support. Uh, they fixed Bluetooth pairing st uh, through Steam UI. They've added support for Proton 6.8 GE, 6.9 GE, and 6.10 GE. And if you don't know what that is, GE refers to uh, the glorious egg roll branch of Proton, which is developed by a developer with the code name or pseudonym of Glorious Eggroll. Uh, and also there's they've added media key support as well as merged Steam tweaks into Steam Buddy. So there's a lot of interesting stuff don't going happening in Chimera OS and uh, including changing the whole name to Chimera OS. And if you're interested in trying out a couch gaming experience, then maybe you'll want to check out Chimera OS and I'll have links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is an open-source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, or at work. A big challenge for businesses is whether or not their employees follow password management best practices. Bitwarden helps solve that because they can securely store credentials spanning across personal vaults or an organizational vault. So every Bitwarden account begins with the creation of a personal vault, which allows the user to store their own personal credentials which also means that you can take this, this account and attach it to an organizational vault, meaning you can share credentials across all, many different types of people across your entire company, and it also gives quicker access, meaning quicker productivity. And also businesses will get a lot of benefit from using Bitwarden because Bitwarden is fully customizable. You can adjust features using enterprise policies uh, to adapt to your business's needs, and also team members can generate unique and secure passwords for every account and every site that they sign up to, which is very important. And it's the, one of the biggest things about best practices for password security, because a lot of people tend to reuse passwords and that is not good. But with Bitwarden, 
you can solve that problem. Also, you can customize and set password requirements as the business to using administrative policies that will basically allow you to make sure that they have good password hygiene. And you also get enterprise-grade security because Bitwarden conducts regular third-party security audits and is compliant with major privacy and security standards like GDPR, CCPA, HIPAA, and SOC 2. You can get up and running fast using Bitwarden's cloud as well and gain complete control with the self-hosted option, which is awesome. Uh, Bitwarden also just released a few new features, including Bitwarden Send, a fully encrypted method to transmit sensitive information, whether text or files, to anyone, which is a fantastic service, and I was super excited to see when they announced that. Bitwarden is awesome. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get the password manager that's, that offers robust and cost-effective solution that can drastically increase your chances of staying safe online. Get started with the free Teams or Enterprise trials of a Teams or Enterprise plan or try it for free across devices as an individual user by going to bitwarden.com DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, let's talk about audio production, more specifically, Ardor 6.8. Ardor 6.8 has been released, and for those unfamiliar, Ardor is a DAW, or Digital Audio Workstation, and it has been a prominent component in the open-source music creation world for many years. Ardor 6.8 introduces a bunch of much-needed new features to this already powerful DAW. These new features include support for importing M4A audio files, a new configurable remove gaps track edit operation with adjustable threshold and leave parameters, as well as the ability to display low-level metering of the digital signal processing or DSP info in the performance meters. This release also adds a configurable slip contents, contents shortcut binding and preferences, a new track playlist menu for creating new playlists for tracks, support for requesting specific CPU DMA latency values, and two new operations for MIDI editing, like the extend selection and the invert selection, and so much more. Now, if you don't know what those things mean, uh, you join the club because I'm I'm in that with you. There's a lot of those things that I'm I mean, I've, I've dabbled with our door over the years uh, quite a bit, but in terms of like being expert, I would not remotely put myself in that field. But if you like to know learn more about the latest release of our door with version 6.8 then you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is an awesome application called Darktable. So Darktable is an open source cross-platform raw image editor for photographers. You can describe a Darktable as an alternative to Adobe Lightroom, and some users of it think that it may even be better than Lightroom, which is really cool. So Darktable 3.6 has many improvements and new features in this latest release, including a full rework of the import module. Now this is really, really awesome because the new module allows you to see thumbnails of your images before you even import anything. And it makes it easier to handle multiple import tasks. The same dialogue is used for importing from disk, card, and camera. And also when you import in place, like images that already exist on your, on your like you already have, you're importing from some device or some card that you already have uh, images that are on your disk for this, kind of thing, it will detect them and see them as like a duplicate and it will be flagged and automatically exclude them from the import, which is awesome because it allows you to better organize and deduplicate automatically without having to import and then do it after the fact, which is cool. 
Also, a vector scope has been added to complement the uh, current histogram, waveform, and parade views for the uh, for editing. And also, the new there's a new default uh, demo, demo, demosaic. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that word. Demosaic algorithm has been introduced, which uh, should provide better quality than the current default uh, a PPG, which, which uh, depending on, you know, if you use the Amaze, it has a little bit of a long runtime. So having, it'll improve the performance in that case. Also, there's support for dual demosaics uh, as, as also being added to this latest release of uh, Darktable 3.6, which allows you to combine stuff like RCD plus VNG4 or Amaze plus VNG4 for like uh, Bayer sensors. Uh, this allows you to use an algorithm better resolving fine detail and another one delivering a smoother output depending on local image content. You can now create also an opacity mask based on the sharpness of an image, which allows you to be more, have giving more fine details to your uh, masking and so much more. There's a lot of cool stuff, including like a new crop module. This new module is added to basically allow you to uh, crop parts of the image for source spots in the retouch module stuff and also many other things. But another one I wanted to talk about is the new color balance RGB module because everybody knows RGB is very important. That's not what this is related to. But anyway, it's really good because this can be used as a one-stop module for all of the color grading, uh, color grading work inside of your editing, which is just fantastic. And there is so much more in Darktable 3.6. If you'd like to learn more about this or get started with using Darktable, then you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have some more image editing related sort of stuff. And that is TuxPaint 0.9.26 has been released. TuxPaint is a free drawing program for children ages 3 to 12, such as like preschool and K through 6 and that sort of stuff. Uh, TuxPaint is used in schools around the world as a computer literacy drawing activity. It combines a easy-to-use interface, uh, fun sound effects, and an encouraging mascot, uh, cartoon mascot who helps children use the program. So this is a really interesting application because essentially kids start with a, a blank canvas and they're pr provided with a bunch of drawing tools to help them learn the concept of creating it. And the, um, the TuxPaint 0.9.26 release introduces new magic tools, as they call them, magic tools. They, one of the tools is a checkerboard uh, tool, which lets you essentially fill entire canvas with checkerboard pattern. There's also the clone tool, which helps kids uh, duplicate parts of a picture by using brush strokes, and the pixels tool, which makes it easier for kids to create retro gaming style pixel art. Now, this new release also improves the fill tool with two new options that let kids uh, do kind of like color gradients. So there's linear color gradient, which supports interactive creation of gradients on different angles and sizes, and the radial gradient which creates a circular style of gradient that is centered around wherever you click the mouse. So also there's all, all the fill tools were updated in this release to better handle filling around anti-aliased edges and that sort of stuff. So plus, uh, among other noteworthy changes, the UI buttons were made larger. The halftone magic tool was improved to load properly with its sound effects file. And uh, there's an, some new uh, functions added for the magic tools API. Now, TuxPaint also added several new accessibility options, which is really nice to see, one of which allows children to enlarge the entire user interface if they have vision issues and that sort of stuff. 
another new accessibility option is the it lets kids reorganize the color palette, which might come in handy if they use, you know, depending on which kind of input devices they use. And it's it's really good to see this application putting some effort into accessibility options because I think every application should really focus on accessibility. Now, a lot of uh, projects don't think about it because it's, you know, it's not you know in their purview to to notice that sort of thing that needs to be done. So anytime a, a project, a dish, like a distro, an application, or whatever works on accessibility, I always love to see that. So well done to Tuxpain for doing that. Now Tuxpain is not the most modern design application out there, but its goal is to be easy for kids. I still kind of wonder, maybe it could use a new coat of Tuxpaint. Well, Tuxpaint is likely in your distributions package manager, but depending on the speed of your distro, your release schedules, you know, it may be out of date. Thankfully, though, there is a flat pack option in the flat hub. So if you want to uh, try out Tuxpaint for yourself, you can get it from the flat hub. And so you'll find links for the flat pack as well as the Tuxpaint website's details for the latest release in the show notes below. From one kid friendly application to another, let's talk about NeoVim. Because NeoVim 0.5.0 has been released. And yes, I'm kidding. NeoVim is certainly not a child-oriented application. I just couldn't resist making the joke. So anyway, for those unfamiliar with NeoVim, it is a fork of Vim that is focused on extensibility and usability. So NeoVim uh, team describes it as a project that is that seeks to aggressively refactor Vim in order to simplify maintenance and encourage contributions split the work between multiple developers, enable advanced UIs without modifications to the core, maximize extensibility, and all sorts of stuff. And this uh, NeoVim has a lot of interesting features, like in, it's an embeddable, scriptable terminal emulator. It has uh, asynchronous job control, shared data among multiple editor instances, XDG-based directory support, uh, compatible with Vim plugins, including Ruby and Python plugins. And it has uh, access API access from basically any language such as C, C++, C Sharp, D, uh, Go, Haskell, Java, Rust, Ruby, Python, Perl, Lua, so much stuff in there. You can pretty much use whatever you want. This release of 0.5.0 is basically 4,000 commits since the previous non-maintenance release, which was 0.4.4. And it hi the highlights of this release uh, include uh, built-in support for LSP, new APIs for extended marks with byte resolution uh, tracking of changes, and buffer decorations, as well as a vast improvements to the Lua as a plugin and configuration language. So this is a like very, it's, this is a kind of a, I guess you could call it a hardcore style text editor that if you are wanting to, you need to use a, a very powerful text editor inside of a terminal, then NeoVim is definitely something to check out because it is a, in, in current terms of Vim and Emacs and that sort of stuff, NeoVim sits in a more actively, aggressively developed version of Vim. So you might be interested in checking it out if you are in, in, in need of that kind of tool. Uh, so it also added experimental su uh, support for TreeSitter as a syntax engine, as, as also included in this latest release of 0.5.0. And also they've added new API functions like uh, in Vim exec, which is uh, executing multiple line Vim script blocks. Uh, you can do uh, in Vim notify, which gives you ability to notify the user with a message and so much stuff. If you'd like to learn more about NeoVim or get your kids started with a terminal text editor, 
then you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. And if you also like to support the channel and the show, you can do so by checking out the DLN store where you can find the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is a shirt I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know Linux is there, it probably is. That's why it has tucks blended into the background of the shirt. And you can also check out a lot more cool stuff that's at the Destination Linux Network store or the DLNstore.com. There's tons of great stuff. Mugs, hoodies, hats, uh, t-shirts. There's also stickers and aprons and backpacks, all sorts of cool stuff. Check it out, DLNstore.com. And if you also, while you're there at DLN Store, you can check out the rest of the DLN, DLN, so that DestinationLinux.network. There's so much cool stuff. So if you like more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on DLN, as well as their great stuff like DLN Extend, Pseudo Show, and so much more. Check it all out at DestinationLinux.network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to DLNlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux news.